0: Good morning. Thank you, musicians. Well, I'm going to open up an email that I just sent out here. If my computer or my iPad, which I paid so much money for, would actually work. So just give me one little moment here. Okay. Well, I'm not going to read it then. That's okay. All right. Well, before we get started this morning, I wanted to make a couple of uh, book recommendations. A lot of people ask me after my sermons, what books are you reading? And uh, because it's an important thing for all of us to do to keep up on our understanding of God's Word, uh, it's important for us to have good book recommendations and to know what... Uh, what good thinking Christians, well thinking Christians, are thinking about God. Uh, I know that many of the Christian thinkers uh, who have blessed my life will be a blessing to you. So I want to just make uh, three quick book recommendations. Did we? Did we not have my? Yeah, there it is. Sorry about that. We had a uh, we had a wonderful spring program this past weekend, and so a lot of uh, a lot of our things are kind of off right now. Well, let me go ahead and get started. This is the first book I'd recommend, The Holiness of God by RC Sproul. It is a wonderful, wonderful description of who God is. Uh, it's one of the most untalked about, one of the most untalked about attributes of God, namely God's holiness and God's separate, his otherness. So I have I highly recommend this book. I'm actually reading it for the very, very first time. I've never read it. Uh, up until the last couple weeks and it i a I don't know how I've lived my life without reading it another book that many people have loved and has meant a lot to them has been this book by a w tozer the knowledge of the holy uh, speaking about God it's in that same vein and then for those of you who like to climb Mount Everest uh, there is one other book I would recommend it is J.I. Packer's Knowing God It is one of the most famous Christian books of all time. Over one million copies of this book have been sold. Uh, It's a little bit larger than the other two, but I highly recommend it. Here's why I recommend these three authors. In these three books, God is big, He is not small, man is small. But in these books, God is big. The God of the Bible is a big God, a, an infinite God whose ways are past finding out. And so any book that is going to do justice to explaining who God is, God must be big in that book. Well, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come before your throne. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ today we come before you to honor your sacrifice that you made on Calvary for my sake for my family's sake for the sake of others for the sake of all who you knew from before the foundation of the world who you predestined for salvation you are sovereign, Lord. You are holy, Lord. And we, Lord, are nothing but the gracious recipients of all that you've given us. And so, Lord, it is for us to come into your house and sing your praises and worship you at your throne, recognizing your holy and sovereign reign over all things. Be amongst us this morning give life to dead hearts as only you and your Holy Spirit can do. And we pray, Lord, that we might begin to live a life anew in the knowledge of your holy, sovereign lordship. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about God, knowing God. It was part two, and the first attribute that we emphasized about God was God's holiness. It seems to be in the Bible that this is God's central attribute or his central description of who he is. An attribute of God is an essential quality of who he is. It's a quality that he cannot not have. He cannot not have. They are essential to his nature. And the big thing that we have to think about, the first thing that we have to understand about the God of Scripture is his holiness. And we define God's holiness as his otherness, his transcendence, his above and beyondness. And we realize that in his holiness, his very nature, it requires that God himself, if we are to know anything about him, must reveal it to us. There is nothing that we can say about God that is true apart from what he has revealed about himself. It is even in nature, in creation, that we learn about God, but it is simply by God's gift of revelation of how he creates that we know anything about God. We're going to say anything specific about God. We must go to his Word. We must know what the Bible, what he through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through 40 different authors over 1600 years revealed about himself to these men and to these women to keep records of how God revealed himself in real life historical events. And because we believe not only that God is transcendent, we also believe that God is imminent. That is, that God is near us. It is not the same as saying that everything is God. Everything is not God. God is separate from creation. God creates all things ex nihilo, out of Nothing. Scripture begins with these words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is, that there was no heaven, no earth, no space, no stars, no absence, no vacuum, no anything, nothing except God. So that all of nature is contingent upon Him and Him alone. But God has acted and does act and god governs all things to the pleasure of his own will god is imminent in this world god is in control of everything in this world from the greatest to the least but of course if we're going to know that we have to then go to where god has revealed that to us in his word i'll be the first to say that it can be an it is an almost impossible Doctrine, to understand God's sovereignty apart from God's word, it is impossible. Because there are so many things that occur in our daily lives, moment by moment, that seem to be meaningless, wasteful, evil. And we might say, there is no God in control of anything because of the wickedness The wastefulness and the randomness of the universe. But the Bible tells us that God is sovereign Lord. In the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, their big book, if you've never gone through this book, I had a friend who worked at Edwin Watts who gave me a copy of it. He was someone who came through Alcoholics Anonymous and believed very strongly in their program. And he came to know Christ through this program. Nevertheless, I've known other people who have come to worship other gods through this program. And here's why. The core objective of this book is to point people to a power greater than themselves to help them solve their problem. I would say that If man were to write the Bible out from under the inspiration of God, that would probably be its central thesis. In fact, in history, we learn from what we see in all of the gods, in all of the other religions, that that's exactly what they are there for. They are there to function as a means to an end. If you want to have a big harvest... You sacrifice to the God of the harvest. If you want your wine vats to be overflowing, you sacrifice to Dionysus. If you want to be fertile, if you want to win in a war, you sacrifice to Athena. And on and on we go. Many gods for many things, and they are all there that we might have our passions Our lives controlled. They are there for us. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not there as simply a power greater than ourselves to help us solve our problems. And yet, this is the God that is preached in many, many Baptist churches this very morning. That God is here for you. I'm saying something completely different than that I am saying that you are here for God please understand that difference please when you watch your favorite Christian television programs ask the question are we here for God or is God here for us because Scripture tells us We are here to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. God is no means to an end. He is the end itself. He is sovereign Lord. According to the big book, it says this power is God." Now, we hear the word God, and we assume, because we're from a Christian paradigm, that they mean exactly what the Word of God says. That when they use God, they mean according to the Bible. Listen, don't get duped into thinking that way. Every, eh, growing up, I used to love, if you can believe this, I used to love rap and hip-hop. I was a DJ, y'all. I knew how to throw down, I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. He's too white to be a DJ, but you, didn't, you couldn't have told me that. So I'd watch the Billboard Music Awards or the BET Music Awards, and all of my favorite rappers would get up there. They'd walk up. Man, they have a Jesus piece on. They'd walk up to the, to the mic, and they'd be like, Hey, I just want to first thank God for helping me write this album about all the girls that um, I have sex with and about all the drugs I was selling. Thank you, God. And then the next day, me and my boys would be like, hey, did you hear DMX, man? He loves God. We'd be like, yeah. And then we'd be telling our parents, DMX is a Christian. And then my dad would be like, put the CD in. And then I'd be like, nah. I'm not going to do that, Dad. What God are you talking about? Because the God of the Bible defines himself. Here's what they actually say in the book. They say, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. Again, I, I believe that's what many of us have, our own conception of God. People ask this question, who is God to you? Listen, I don't care who God is to you. God will define himself. And it is not our responsibility to reason him out or to make him in our image. We are made in his. And his conception of himself, as he has revealed it, is that he is Holy Lord. The doctrine of God's holiness, as we learned last week... The majesty of the mystery of his glory is the foundation of all true knowledge of God. If we're going to know anything about God, we have to begin with this. That God is holy. He is other. He is separate. If we are to know him, he must tell us. Please, this is where your Christian life begins. God must tell you who he is. This is the foundation of all true knowledge of God. I am saying that any definition about God that does not correspond with what he has revealed about himself in sacred scripture is false. Therefore, scripture's revelation of God is false. It is this doctrine that we become aware of our complete ignorance and the holy otherness of God unless he reveals this doctrine to us himself. I'm going somewhere. I'm not re-preaching last week's sermon, I promise you. I'm just priming the pump. Because what I'm going to say today is one of the most controversial issues for good godly Christians to swallow and that is that God has revealed himself as sovereign Lord God is sovereign Lord I'm going to take three definitions from this one statement that God is sovereign Lord and I'm going to explain them to you as he has explained them in Scripture My proposition this morning, what I want to prove, is simply this. Because God is sovereign Lord. Notice that my propositions begin with a fact, a true statement, that you can either agree with or disagree with, but your disagreement doesn't change the value of it. It's true regardless of whether you believe it or not. When you go to the doctor, you have the doctor tell you that you know my doctor he's very honest he comes in one day and he says I said to him oh, I go to the gym all the time he said oh oh, okay he walked out of the room he walked back in why are you all laughing already you don't even know the punchline <laughs> you guys are jerks I just wanna say that you're not jerks I love you so he walks out of the room and I had told him I said I go to the gym all the time and he op- opens back up the door and he just sticks his head through and he goes hey pal where a guy who goes to the gym all the time, you're pretty flabby. Thanks, doctor. With friends like that, who needs enemies? I didn't like to hear it, but it's true. Truth is not concerned with our feelings. Listen to me truth doesn't care about your beliefs. God is sovereign Lord. Because God is sovereign Lord over all things, from the greatest to the least, He deserves our worship, He deserves our obedience. Listen, He deserves our life. Romans fourteen, seven through eight says this: speaking to saved people, Christians, for none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of even the dead and the living. To say that God is Lord is to put him on his throne. You know what Americans love more than anything Freedom. If there's anything you can say about American people, it's that they love liberty. But they don't understand what liberty means. Not today, anyway. Many of us struggle because we believe that the word liberty means free to do whatever we want. But that's not liberty. Liberty is the freedom to do what ought to be done despite the dictates of men do you understand that that's what our very country was founded on it was not the belief that we could come over here And just start to determine what a gender is. And what marriage is. And when we ought to kill people. And when we ought not to kill people. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was that men had made themselves the law. And that we were going to abide by the law above the edicts of men. Read the Declaration of Independence. What was our country founded on? These truths that are self-evident. Americans don't even understand their virtue that they love. Liberty. In other words, truths are true whether we like it or not. And we are free to abide by those truths. And Christian, this morning you are free. You are free To make yourself a slave to righteousness. Paul said this. He said, I appeal to you brothers... By the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? According to the first 11 chapters of that particular book, Romans, it is everything that God has accomplished for us in Christ. Because God is sovereign Lord over even our salvation. Because We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You are free Christian to live your life as a sacrifice to God. Paul says you were once slave to sins. Now you have become slaves to righteousness and freedom. Understand that freedom comes with responsibility even in the country that you live in. Even secular men understood as much that freedom does not mean freedom to do whatever you choose, but freedom to do according to the Lord. Present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. People tell me all the time, oh, I'm going to another church because I like the worship music better. That is the most petty reason for leaving a church. Where in the Bible does God say, choose a church based upon the worship music? That is ridiculous. If I had it my way, we'd only have a piano so that we couldn't argue. Our worship, according to the Bible, is when we sacrifice all of our wants and desires and our sinful desires for God's will. That's our worship. It's not about dancing on dollar bills on the stage. Some of you laugh because you know who I'm talking about. You saw the same episode I did. Man, you know God is gracious. I'm surprised he didn't strike them dead. He did it to Nadab and Abihu when they offered up a false incense to the Lord. God help us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has freed you from the dominion of sin to be a servant of him. He is your Lord if you are a Christian. Well, let me define then sovereignty. The first definition or first part of this definition is this. What does it mean to say that God is sovereign Lord? I'm going to use the name of God, Jehovah. That is his covenant name. When Moses asked God to reveal who he was, whom shall I say sent you? He gave him the name Yahweh. The English translation of that word Yahweh is Jehovah. It is who God has revealed Himself to be. I am who I am. That's what that name means. God defines Himself. Jehovah reigns over His creation, over every king and kingdom, over all powers on earth and heaven above. He only ever does as he alone pleases and is never compelled to act independent of his own desires. Let me read this definition again. If you're not offended by that, you may not have heard me right. Jehovah reigns over his creation, over every king and kingdom, over all powers on earth and heaven above... He only ever does as he alone pleases and is never compelled to act independent of his own desires. That's what it means to be sovereign Lord. Listen to what Psalm 47 says. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. I heard a pastor say the other day, and it's a very important point. Pastors try to water down the word fear. They try to say that fear just means reverence of God. Listen to me. Fear means fear, to quote Albert Moeller. It means fear. When I I start to use my table saw, if you don't know what a table saw is, and by the way, if you think you shouldn't fear a table saw, when I'm done, talk with Edsel Gandy. He'll tell you about it. It's got a big old blade that shoots out. And when I go to cut things, if I don't fear it, I'm going to cut my hand clean off. And my wife told me she's not dating a guy with one hand. She's not married to a guy with one hand. I fear it. It means fear it doesn't mean I don't use it, but it means I'm afraid of it. That type of fear of God. Why should we worship God? Because he's to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God, why did God choose Israel and not the Canaanites? Because God was pleased in doing so. There's nothing about Israel that made him choose Israel over other nations. They're not more special. He simply chose them according to his own pleasure. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. You know why King Jong-un hasn't nuked anybody yet? Because the Lord governs his fingers. But sovereignty means more than that. It means that Jehovah's sovereignty is boundless, extending out to the farthest star in the universe, to the tiniest sparrow in his death, and even to the seemingly random events of the earth. Things that we say could have no purpose. The Bible says God is sovereign Lord over even the things you think are purposeless. Someone says, this is around basketball time, people like, People who don't like sports like to say things, God doesn't care who wins the NBA championship. That's not true. The Bible says he's in control of everything. Now, I don't think God's up there with a Cleveland Cavaliers cap on. That's for sure. We know God is sovereign. That's why the Knicks can't win nothing. Anyway, let's move on. Job 38, 31 through 33 says this. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? He's talking about constellations. When Job confronted God, God answered by saying, You can't do these things. I do them. I put the stars in the sky, and I put them how I please. And you will learn and discern the seasons based upon my ordering of the stars. Why are they round and not square? Because God is sovereign Lord. He says, or can you guide the bear with its children? He's talking about the constellation of the bear. He says, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on Earth? Do you know how finely tuned this universe is for life? Do you know that our planet just happens to be on the outside of our Milky Way galaxy, which is a platform to witness the rest of the universe? Do you know that that's in between a habitable zone that orbits around our earth, that if we're 5% closer to the sun, we burn up. If we're 20% further out, we freeze up. Do you know that if our gravity and and the way that the moon tilts were not there, that we would not have electromagnetic waves that protect us from the sun's heat? Do you know that we are finely tuned in every way that our DNA is built up of millions and millions and millions and millions of codes, all based upon four letters? They're full of meaning. God is in control of everything. There's nothing outside of his grasp. Matthew asks this question. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. If you see a sparrow on the ground, know that that was the Lord's will. Yes. It is the Lord's will that you don't have hair, some of you. I'm looking at a lot of bald heads today. It's the Lord's will. The guys who are bald, you guys are smiling the most. I, way to accept it. I'm proud of you. The Lord says, I know the number of hairs on your head. You say, God doesn't care about that stuff. Oh, contraire, moan whatever. He does. Proverbs 16.33 even says this. Listen to this. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Listen, every time you don't win the lottery, don't sit back and say, the odds are against me. Even though they are, it is God who chooses for you not to win the lottery. It's not odds. It's a guaranteed thing. God has chosen for you not to win it. I mean, honestly, folks, how big is your God? Finally, and notice this one's in red, if you can see it up there. Oh, you can't see it up there. I can see it. It's in red. Because this right here is, for me, it's to remind me, caution. This is where everybody begins to jump off the boat. Finally Jehovah directs and disposes all things including the thoughts and Actions of free human beings to the pleasure of his own will This is where we're gonna stay Jehovah directs and disposes All things, including the thoughts and actions of human beings to the pleasure of his own will. Remember what we agreed on, right? God defines who he is, right? Not us. Not what we think God should be doing. God reveals himself to us. Well, what does scripture say? Just quote a couple people before we do that. J.I. Packer. He's known for his mind, not his looks. The fact of free agency confronts us with our mystery inasmuch as God's control over our free, self-determined activities is as complete as it is over anything else. And how this can be, we do not know. We're talking about a mystery. It is that God is sovereign and in control of all things... And you are responsible for your will. You say, which one is it? Yes is the answer. Is God in control of my thoughts and actions? Or am I in control of my thoughts and actions? And the answer to the question is, yes. Is it me or God? Yes. In the same way? No. A.W. Pink said this. He said, such is the mighty potentate revealed in Holy Writ. In other words, translation, this is how the sovereign Lord defines himself. Unrivaled in majesty, unlimited in power, unaffected by anything outside of himself. But we are living in a day when even the most orthodox, that is the people who are the most Christian... Seem afraid to admit the proper Godhood of God. They say that to press the sovereignty of God excludes human responsibility. Whereas human responsibility is based upon divine sovereignty and is the product of it. Many, he says, have more foolishly said that it is quite impossible to show where divine sovereignty ends and creature accountability begins. Here, says Pink, is where the creature responsibility begins, in the sovereign ordination of the Creator. As to His sovereignty, there is not and never will be any end to it. God is sovereign Lord. The Bible tells us that all of the miserable things that Joseph went through. When he was, his life was faked, his death was faked, he was thrown into a well, his brothers robbed him, made him naked, took his most precious coat, put blood all over it, told his own father that he died. He was sold to Arab traders, he was put into slavery, he goes into the kingdoms of Egypt. He is framed for rape. He's thrown into prison. And he's standing before his brothers who are now all on their knees who represent the heads of the tribes of Israel. Now on their knees very much like the way the tribes of Israel put Christ on the cross. And Christ or Joseph stands there before his brothers and he says this, Brothers, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You've got some people in your life right now who mean evil against you. I know I do. And it's hard for me to remember that God is sovereign. And for some reason, for some reason, what they mean for evil, God means for good. You say, what is the reason? I don't know. It's what I tell God every night. God, I don't know why you're doing this to me. But you are sovereign. You are Lord. Have your way with me. And I say it in tears. I don't understand why God does some of the things he does to me. It feels like he's against me. And I know it feels like he's against you sometimes. But he is sovereign Lord. He is in control of what those people are doing to you. Be at peace then. Don't you know that Satan couldn't do a single thing to Job that the Lord God was not sovereign over? At the very end of the book, it is God who is credited with doing all the evil to Job. I'm just quoting scripture. It ends with them saying they God redeemed him for that they saw all that God had done after all the evil God had done to Job. Not Satan. Now we know Satan was the means that God used. But God's sovereignty and control are above even the secondary causes. It was God. You say, wait a minute, that offends me. It shouldn't, because it was even God's sovereign will to put his son on the cross for you, to crush him for our iniquity. When you go home about how many awesome and great things have happened in your life. Think about those. And remember that it was God who gave them to you. You say, it was my foresight to make that economic decision. But God tells us that he gave you the foresight to make that decision. You say, I have lived a healthy life. But it was God who's given you good genes to live that healthy life. Or the discipline to do so. Do you know that when God came to Nebuchadnezzar, it was when he was standing out on his edge, on the ledge. He was standing out. He was looking at all of his kingdom. And he was saying, (laughs) look what I have done. Wow. I am impressive. The Bible says that very day he lost his very mind and he was sent into the wilderness for seven years to live like an animal. You will go if God chooses you to go. You will do if God chooses you to do. If God chooses you, chooses to rob you of your very sensibilities, he'll do it. At the end of the passage, at the end of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He is the Lord Almighty. We think that this is how our life works. That we're riding a tandem bicycle with God, and it's a 50-50 thing. That's how most of us think we got to put in ours, and then God, he'll put in his. And I know because I'm in the parking lot, and I see the bumper sticker on the back of your car. It says, God is my co-pilot. Listen to me. Your co-pilot is your wife. And if you don't believe me, just ask her. She'll tell you. You know how they, don't you... You almost, I'm glad that, deal, that, that car dealers, they realize, they pro- I think I heard this, that Henry Ford thought about putting brakes on the other side, on the passenger side, in order to make the car more safe so that the driver wasn't watching what he was doing, they could pump those brakes. And then Henry took one drive with his wife and he realized, nope. The whole time. Watch your speed. I don't know how I drive when my wife's not in the car, I promise you, I don't know how I do it. But then what's this thing? <laughs> but that's what we think our relationship with God is like. He gets on the back. All right, God, come on, get on the back. I'm going to take this bicycle wherever I want. And he's in the back, and he, he's holding on, and he's snuggling on your back. And, oh, I don't think that's a good turn. Do this, and he sprinkles a little magic fairy dust. Oh, I like that, yeah that's not how it works it's not God and me it's God and you it's a hundred and it's a hundred in other words it works like this God is sovereign over everything and you're responsible this is called the doctrine of concurrence it is that God is in control of everything And you're responsible. If you don't get up and come this morning to receive Christ as Savior, and you've never received Christ as Savior, you are responsible for that. And God is sovereign over it. You say, which one is it? Listen to me. You don't have to worry about it this morning. All you have to worry about is what you have to do. Have you received Christ as your Savior? This is the will of God. It's what's revealed in Scripture. What is concurrence? It's an aspect of God's control or providence whereby He cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. There are some scenes in Scripture that would terrify you if you were reading them sensitively. 1 Kings chapter 20, where God calls out, calls in the heavenly host, and a deceptive spirit, he calls for a spirit to go and to deceive Ahab, to lie to Ahab, to get Ahab to move into a battle he had no business moving into that he would die in. And God orchestrates it. The whole thing. And Ahab goes and is killed. You read these stories of the Canaanite people. Where God tells the children of Israel to go into these cities. And to absolutely devastate them. To not leave a single beating heart and even the cattle yes and the women and children you say i don't like that god we agreed god defines himself we don't like that the bible says that god is a consuming fire But God is in control of all things. Concurrence is something we cannot observe directly. It's something we know only because God has told us in Scripture. Psalm 148 and 8, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Yes, when people die in avalanches, it was upon the command of God. When people starve to death, it was upon the command of God. Remember what I'm asking you this morning. How far in control is your God? See, I told you this would be bothersome. But the Bible tells us this is who the God is. When tornadoes devastate entire towns... That is by God's sovereign power. You say he kills innocent people? (laughs) That's where you're wrong. Who's innocent before him? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is in control of all. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. When you see those pigeons get a worm, God has given them that. God makes nations great. America's not great because we have military power. America is great because God has decided to make America great. Do not think for one second that God will allow America to exist One second after he determines her not to exist anymore. You say, but we have nuclear weapons. So what? Remember how Gideon won his battle? All he had to do was stand around and smash a couple pots and shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That's it. God makes nations great. What you meant for evil, God means for good. We know even in scripture that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Every day that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart was another day the children of Israel were in their shackles all to the glory of God. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh also hardened his heart. So which one is it? Did Pharaoh harden his heart and then God hardened his heart? Or did God harden his heart and then Pharaoh hardened his heart? The answer is God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh is responsible for hardening his heart. Oh boy. I know what you're saying. You're saying now what? What? Now what? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what every human being who faces the sovereignty of the Lord thinks. Those of you who are awake, anyway. You're thinking, if God is sovereign Lord over all things, even my very thoughts and actions, then there's nothing left for me to do. Dare I say, there's nothing I can do. That's what you're thinking. If God's in control of everything, I can't do anything. Not apart from His will. Well, let me answer this question. Because this morning, it all depends on how you respond. Where you stand with God right now all depends on how you respond to this question. If you are under God's wrath, If you are under God's wrath, here's what you should do. You should repent. You say, I can't unless God makes me. But the Bible tells us that you are to receive his salvation. You know, I don't know of a single person, I don't know of a single Christian who credits themselves with their salvation. No Christian I know pats themselves on the back and says, thank God I did it. What do we all say? Oh God, it is by your grace and mercy that I'm saved. Not a shred of your work and effort brought you to Christ Jesus. The Bible says that while we were yet dead, God, Ephesians 2 4, God made us alive. What am I supposed to do then? Let me wait, let me sit here and wait for God to make me alive. No, the Bible says, get up and repent. It is your responsibility. For those who are under his grace and who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Worship. Worship him. Don't you really believe that it's Him and not you? If you believed it was Him and not you, our worship, our lives would look so different. His praises would ever be on our tongues. When we brought ourselves to our knees and cried out, Be merciful upon me, a sinner. It was God who put us on that floor. How can you not come in here and in tears say, Thank you. You put me in Jim and Sandra Summer's house. You put me on that couch that night. It was you, God, who brought them to me. It was you who moved my heart. It was you who gave me life when I had none of it. I could have been born in any other house. You could have put me in any other church. You could have made me hate you. But here I stand in your grace. You are sovereign Lord. How could we not worship him? The reason why we don't worship today is because we still think it's us. We still think it's us. We're still patting ourselves on our back. Yes, seasoned Christians, the reason why you are stale is because you've enjoyed a little bit of success in your holiness in your life and you think it's you, but the Bible says it's not you. You know what Scripture says? Here's the call. It's this. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why don't we work it out anymore? Why have we become stale in our holiness? The Bible says for you, Today, all of you, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And if you have not received Christ, work it out in repentance. Believer, if you have, worship. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, the Bible has no problem with taking God's sovereignty as Lord and putting it right next to your responsibility. What should you do this morning? Worship God. Follow God. And while you do it, praise His name. Let's pray. God, it is a mighty thing to know you. You put every person in this building and you numbered them from before the foundation was laid. Here in this first Sunday of the month of May in the year 2018, you have the exact number of people in this church hearing your message of the gospel today. You have foreordained this moment. If any are to come to you today, you have decided for them to come. It is you, sovereign Lord, who we worship. We say thank you for your mercy on us as sinners.